Welcome nerds. It's time to debrief you on the world of pop culture. Loading up Rockabilly track. Now planning trip to Disney World. Preparing updates on movies, TV, wrestling and more. ANS 5.0 activates in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, we're going to be recapping all the Marvel and Star Wars news coming out of D23. We're also going to be breaking down Episode 5 of She-Hulk, and we've got an episode review for House of the Dragon. Plus, we're talking Tokyo Game Show, and we're breaking down the AEW Grand Slam card. All right, but before we move on, Damon, what time is it? It is giveaway time uh, once again. The show is coming off one of our most successful months ever, and the fact that we've been doing this for almost five years and we're still growing is pretty fucking amazing. So we thought we'd celebrate a little by giving away a copy of your choice either Doctor Strange the Multiverse of Madness or Thor Love and Thunder on Blu-ray to enter for a chance to win all you have to do is either write a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or leave a five-star rating on Spotify Uh, once you're done doing that take a screenshot DM us it uh, at Amazing Nerd Show on all your favorite social media platforms, and you are automatically entered for a chance to win one of those Blu-ray copies. Now, once again, if you've done this already in the past, help do it again. It still helps with the algorithm, and you get a chance to win. Uh, I mean, this isn't a humble brag, but we've got a lot of people subscribed to the show over on Apple, and that's where we get like the majority of our downloads. Uh, so like if just one out of 10 of those subscribers would just take a minute and do this, like it would actually be like life changing for the podcast. So, I mean, please take the time to do it, uh, you know, regardless if you want to win a copy or not. Now, let's say for some reason you don't listen to the show on either one of these platforms. That's totally cool. We still want you to have a chance to win. So go ahead and follow us either on Twitter or on Instagram at Amazing Nerd Show. On Twitter, go ahead and retweet the pin post. On Instagram, go ahead and like the pin post. And then make sure to DM us and let us know that you want to be entered for a chance to win one of the copies of the Blu-rays. And that's it. That's all you have to do. So hopefully that's not too confusing. Uh, At some point at the end of September, we'll go ahead on the podcast and announce a randomly selected winner. And just like our other contests, this is going to be a podcast-only giveaway. So... Just because we want people who actually listen to the show and support us weekly to have a chance to win. So that's it. Uh, Hopefully that wasn't too complicated. We just want everyone to have an opportunity here. Uh, You know, so make sure you go ahead, do yourself a favor. Uh, Do one of those four options. Hell, do all four of those options. Uh, And you're officially entered and good luck. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning potential spoilers for upcoming films and shows ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. Alright Christian, up first, coming out of D23, we got some Star Wars news, updates, and trailers. Looks like Tales of the Jedi will be getting a fall release, with it coming to Disney Plus October 26, 2022, as we learned during the announcements at D23 and the trailer that they released for this anthology series. Speaking of which... The best way I can protect you is to teach you how to protect yourself. I want to bring peace and order to the galaxy. 
Master, stop! It is the only way you will truly have victory, my Padawan. So this is going to be a six-episode anthology series of shorts focusing on Count Dooku's story and Ahsoka's. Uh, and I'll be honest, I completely forgot this was happening. So I was extremely excited after watching this trailer because it just looked amazing. Yeah, honestly, every time, you know, I saw the name Tales of the Jedi, for some reason, my mind kept thinking this was going to be, you know, a very kid centric show. But, you know, this seems like they're telling some dark ass stories along with like reintroducing some of these characters. Yeah, I think that's because we're getting confused with uh, that young Jedi's adventure show coming to uh, Mm -hmm. Disney Junior. (laughs) (laughs) So I just loved the darker tone also. Um, Like the fact that this whole trailer starts off with Padme's funeral. There's just something messed up about seeing that in animation form. Uh, For some reason, that just kind of really struck a chord with me. Also, I don't know if you noticed this, but later on in the trailer, it looks like Ahsoka's actually at the funeral. So we're going to get a chance to catch up with Ahsoka right after Order 66, which will be pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, if Ahsoka is there, I I can't imagine her wanting to even go back to Coruscant or wherever that funeral is being held. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it speaks volumes about like her relationship with uh, Padme that she's mm -hmm. willing to risk that. Right. I just love getting to see so much of Ahsoka's story throughout all these years, you know, playing in different eras of Star Wars. It's been very cool how much they're willing to flesh this out. And now we're getting more in live action as well in the future. It's insane what they want to do with her. But anyway, in this trailer, when it comes to the Dooku side of things, uh, we meet up with a much younger Count uh, before his fall from grace uh, with the Jedi. Uh, He's on different missions alongside the likes of his young Padawan, Qui-Gon, and later on, Mace Windu. Uh, I'm guessing we'll actually see what happens to make him kind of choose to leave the Order and join the dark side. And throughout this trailer, we see him coming to odds with the Jedi and really pushing limits. There's even a shot at the end where it looks like he's in some kind of lightsaber duel with uh, Yadel. Uh, you know, so maybe we'll get some answers to exactly what happens to her after Phantom Menace. I mean, she possibly could have discovered what was going on with Dooku or who knows, maybe she was protecting Grogu, uh, you know, from him. You know, that's pure speculation, of course. Everything always ties back into the Mandalorian. You know, it has to happen. <laughs> you're not you're not lying. Uh, but oh my god, are we gonna see the death of Yaddle? Like, is that what this is going towards? Now, is it Yaddle or Yaddle? <laughs> I think it's Yaddle. Is it Yaddle? I thought it was Yaddle. I, well, whoever, whatever. Who cares? <laughs> now, if they do go that route, it will contradict the legend story where we see her like jump on a bomb to save Anakin, uh, but whatever, right? <laughs> it's Yaddle. Jump on a bomb. Yeah, yeah. They she, have the force. Yeah, she jumps. <laughs> she does. I swear to God, that's what happens. <laughs> Pulls a Captain she, America. Like, huh? She like absorbs a bomb's blast or something. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> it's like I said. It's fucking Yaddle or Yaddle, whatever. <laughs> it's Yoda with a wig. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> Not to get off track, but has Yaddle shown up in the High Republic? Christian, I have no clue. My my daughter has not mentioned that at all. So, but I'm guessing no because I, I'm get. I think it would be big news because there's so much like mystery surrounding the character. Hmm. But I could be wrong. Who knows? 
So when we meet up with Ahsoka, uh, we see her as a child, uh, discovering that she's a Jedi on her home planet. Then we see her in a training session with Anakin, who is just pushing her to the extreme. I mean, she's surrounded by clone troopers just blasting at her. I mean, honestly, if you think about it, this kind of training probably actually saved her life during Order 66 in a funny way. So uh, there is that. I just love, again, bringing up the dark tone, I just loved how we were hearing Anakin be just like, again, 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 as she's struggling through this. Yeah, I feel like it's an aspect of the relationship that we didn't really see much in uh, Clone Wars, right? Mm -hmm. I can't imagine Obi-Wan was this hard on him. (laughs) Right, but I mean, Anakin's no Uh (laughs) Obi-Wan, but it kind of explains why Ahsoka kind of has an edge to her too, right? Exactly. So next, we see a brand new Inquisitor who looks fucking awesome. Uh, apparently, this Inquisitor possibly could be coming from a Ahsoka novel that takes place after Order 66. Uh, we do see him facing off against Ahsoka, so maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. Who knows? Lastly, we see a Jedi funeral. Uh, maybe it's Yaddles. I have no clue what the hell's going on, uh, but everyone's looking pretty somber. So maybe I'm right. Maybe she did meet her doom at the hands of Dooku. I just love that the series is going to continue to flesh out these characters that we've, you know, grown to love over the years and add even more depth. Uh, It's going to be especially cool to see like Dooku's relationship with Qui-Gon and Mace, who we know he was really close to in the past. Yeah, Count Dooku is such a, you know, pivotal moment for the Jedi, you know, turning towards the dark side and having someone who was kind of, you know, under the influence of Sidious before we ever like meet him. So that's why I'm kind of curious, like how if if we'll even see like a younger Sidious talking to him or like influencing him in any way. I want to see that relationship kind of grow. Yeah, because in the prequels, it's a plot point that's just kind of like rushed by. Like, Mm -hmm. they don't spend any time with, like, you know, Dooku and his backstory and who he is. It's just, like, briefly mentioned. So, I mean, it it is a huge mystery and everything. I know, like, in comics and books, they've kind of, like, you know, done that legwork at this point. But it'll just be cool to see it on screen. Exactly. It almost always becomes a thing where it's like, if it isn't on screen in some form or fashion, it's not canon. So I'm I'm sure this is going to contradict a lot of those like novels Uh and everything and probably cause a lot of uproar with, you know, the (laughs) fandom. But it is what it is. All right, Christian, well, moving on. We also got a trailer for season three of The Mandalorian. This is the one that you saved. You are as its father. A clan of two. So the trailer starts with kind of a recap of where Mando stands with his clan of fanatics, which is, you know, he's been ostracized. I did feel like this recap was put here just because they didn't have enough footage to fill out like a a, a complete trailer. Right. Because this is all, you know, previously shot footage, Uh you know, from the shows. So then we get Mando being chased through space. Uh, It seems like he's on Mandalore after this. Uh, We get tons of shots of various Mandalorians. I believe we get a look at the Night Owls. Uh, Just some awesome looking armor. You know me, I just see brand new action figures for my collection and money flying out of my wallet. 
Anyway, one of the Mandalorians that we obviously recognize is Bo-Katan. Uh, we hear a voiceover from her where she's blaming Mando's quote-unquote cult for fracturing their people. Yeah, I kind of figured the journey was going to take us to Mandalore this season just because we know that he wants to probably get his honor back in some way. That the armor told him he had to like go to a special forge or some shit on the planet. So I'm excited to see it, though. Yeah, but with that being said, I mean... Maybe Bo-Katan can show him another way, pun intended, right, of being a Mandalorian. And he mm. doesn't have to follow this archaic clan. Because um, if you think about it, like, he didn't even realize there was Mandalorians out there who didn't follow the creed to the T like, you know, his group does. I mean, you remember how shocked he was when he saw, like, Bo-Katan and crew, like, take off their helmets? <laughs> Uh-huh. It probably explains a lot to him now, you know, when he would go to planets and people would react even weirder to him because, you know, he's not as cavalier as the rest of them. I'm just kind of surprised that he doesn't hold some kind of resentment against the armorer and, you know, crew, you know, for keeping him in the dark for so long. I think it's possible, but I feel like it'll take a long time before we get that scene where he, like, really lets that feeling out. You know, in front of us. I mean, maybe, but right now he's just so desperate to get back in their good graces. But I guess that's because that's the only life he's known. And I mean, he owes them everything. They they literally mm. saved him. So in the next scene, we see a brief shot of Grief Karga looking very regal. Uh, we also have a lot of action sequences. There's definitely a war brewing here. We then, uh, of course, get the obligatory Baby Yoda scene uh, with him looking shocked to see that there's other Mandalorians out there. Uh, then we see a tree filled with monkey lizards, you know, whatever species uh, Salacious B. Crumb is. After that, there were some aliens I could identify. Uh, then we see the bane of my existence. Uh, wh what the hell's the mechanic's name, Christian? Pele, Pele Mato, Mato. Uh, anyway, there's fireworks and then Babu Frick makes an appearance. And that's pretty much it. We can always use more Frick in our lives. And I think it's Polly Mato. Sure, whatever, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she'll get another, you know, standalone episode oh, with her and Baby Groo. I hope not. Baby Go Groo. We even had to deal with her in uh, Book of Boba Fett, for crying out loud. I know, right? Less is more when it comes to that character. I'm assuming Boba Fett's not going to be a part of this season. Who the fuck knows? I mean, <laughs> at this point, it seems like all these shows are so intertwined that I wouldn't be surprised by it. I mean, maybe Bando ends up calling in a favor and uh, Boba and Fennec end up showing up. Like, I liked, um, you know, the speech at the beginning where it's like, you're a clan of two. And it made me think like, oh, could he possibly, you know, create his own clan going forward? Could he join up with Boba in his, you know, bounty hunter clan? Could he just pick a different group at this point if he wanted to? Well, that's kind of what I was saying before. Uh, maybe he ends up joining up with Bo-Katan. Uh, to help, you know, retake Mandalore uh, in spite of, you know, what his former clan would want. And maybe he realizes he doesn't need to be in their good graces to be a true Mandalorian. We also still have the issue of the Darksaber in play, mm -hmm. right? Like, is he going to have to have a battle to the death against Bo-Katan? Or is he going to end up being the new ruler of Mandalore at the end of the day? I feel like Din Djarin would just hand it to the next person that says, I'll take it. If it, it really comes out to him being a leader. But remember, the reason why Bo-Katan won't take it from him is because it was originally handed to her without that battle. So she feels like it kind of like cursed 
her people because of that. I hear you, but with like no definitive ruler, I could see like, you know, a bunch of different factions trying to like rise up and take over. Well, yeah, but I don't think he's going to be willing to just hand the thing off to whatever faction shows up. I hear you. Also, I don't see be he's a horrible story. To, yeah. <laughs> it's like, here, there's no conflict between us. Here, you just take this. Because he does but, try to hand it off to her, the, you know, mm -hmm. at the end of season two, and she doesn't accept it. So obviously that's going to be a conflict that comes into play. Either way, I just don't see him ruling over Mandalore anytime soon. I don't know, man. I mean, maybe he's the one who unites the clans. I don't know. It's got to be a really big loophole for him to just like hand it over to someone and then to become the ruler of Mandalore. I'm sure there's a lot of superstition against that because ownership is supposed to come from combat, you know, for you to be considered the rightful ruler. Now, whether or not that means like it has to be a battle to the death, I guess is up for debate because I, I mean, he didn't kill Moff Gideon. Yeah. And Gideon clearly didn't kill Bo-Katan. True. So I, I, I'm guessing it just has to be an actual defeat of some sort. Mm -hmm. So maybe him and Bo-Katan throw down and she just beats him and chooses, Arena battle. chooses not to kill him, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I just don't see him throwing the fight, though. I don't think she's going to take it from him that way. Also, here's a question. Like, who are the Mandalorians battling against? Is it the remnants of the Empire? Is that who still, like, is in control of the planet? I'm not sure because, like, just looking at it, all I see are Mandalorians, like, everywhere, uh, besides other alien creatures. I don't see any type of, like, Imperial ship or anything on the planet or near it. Yeah, it's weird because we know Moff Gideon had possession of the Darksabers, mm -hmm. so I would think that would mean that the Empire was still in control of Mandalore, but maybe after they lost in Return of the Jedi that left like some kind of like power vacuum. Perhaps. I mean, the planet is pretty messed up, so maybe there's not just nothing there for them to take. I guess we'll just have to wait and find out. Mm -hmm. But anyway, overall, I thought this was a great teaser. I'm just excited that we're going to finally see Mandalore in live action form. Even though it's been blown to hell. Beggars can't be choosers, Christian. <laughs> well, up next, we also got the final Andor trailer, but We've had like four Andor trailers at this point. Yeah. We're not going to break that down. I just keep forgetting that there's going to be three episodes coming out next week. Yeah, I can't believe that's a, only a week away at this point. Yeah, it's crazy. But anyway, moving on, we got an update for season two of The Bad Batch. Moving from its September release, season two of The Bad Batch is now slated for January 4th, 2023, with a two episode premiere for this 16 episode season. Yeah, this was originally supposed to be coming out at the end of September. So, I mean, this is pretty mm. disappointing. Um, my concern is, will this end up bumping uh, season three of The Mandalorian back? Because mm. originally we heard that season three was going to be happening sometime late January or early February. But right now it feels like the schedule has kind of like shifted back slightly. So I'm wondering if Mandalorian doesn't end up coming out sometime in spring. I mean, at a certain point, it might just be easy for them to release it in May and then you do all the, you know, Star Wars Day stuff that happens in May. Jesus Christ, I hope you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but with the Mandalorian relying so much on effects and knowing that a lot of like the bigger effects like shows and movies have been dealing with lots of delays, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. Like, maybe they want the extra time. 
Um, which if it's because of the facts, I feel like that's a good enough reason for me to wait a couple more months. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I mean, we'll talk about it later, but look at the unevenness with, you know, the CGI for She-Hulk. Yeah, you, you definitely don't want that in Mando. You don't no. want to bring people's expectations down. Exactly. Especially after like setting the bar so high. But anyway, moving on, uh, we did get a first look from Skeleton Crew, which was basically just a picture of uh, Jude Law in costume basically <laughs> so, yeah <laughs> it's not really much to cover there uh but we do know that they're currently shooting uh, and we also got a first look from ahsoka they did show some footage but we're not going to break down footage that we didn't see of course uh but yeah there there was a nice like still of like ahsoka with you know her lightsabers all sparked up and then we kind of got a first look at uh sabine uh, her back's turned to us, so it's kind of mirroring uh, one of the scenes we got from the finale of uh, Rebels with uh, her looking over the mural that she created of the crew of the Ghost. Definitely can't wait for that trailer to drop whenever they do. I mean, though. it is scheduled to come out in 2023, so mm -hmm. I would think we probably get something sooner than later. But maybe they'll wait to like closer to the end of the year. Yeah, maybe a nice Christmas present. I mean, that could be the case. They always have some like big reveals at the end of the year during the uh, investor day um, press conference that they do. I mean, if we were to get something big from Star Wars, I could see that being the case, especially with, you know, how little we got from Mando. I, I feel like they probably need more to build up before we can get anything from that season three. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we get some like big announcement, because if my memory serves me right, that's when they actually uh, announced Rogue Squadron which we just found out is off the schedule now. Yep, officially. <laughs> so who knows if Patty Jenkins is even attached to the project anymore, or if the project's even happening. Oh, but before uh, D23 even happened, Hollywood Reporter came out saying that they have casted Ezra Bridger for the Ahsoka series. It's going to be Iman Esfandi uh, from a film called The Inspection Film that came out this year. I, I, I don't know any of his works, but a lot of people were speculating that it would be Mena Masoud for a long time. Uh, so is that the guy the from uh, that's the guy from Aladdin? Yeah. Okay. But this, the new guy, that's not, he's not from Aladdin. No, not Just at to all. be clear, okay. Yes. <laughs> he's just from this inspection film and other things we haven't heard of. Yeah, essentially. Okay, well, I hope he's talented. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm guessing the Ahsoka series is just going to be her searching for Ezra. So, I mean, who knows how much screen time he's actually going to get. Probably just like, you know either the last few episodes or something. It's going to be interesting to see like just how powerful of a Jedi Ezra is at this point, mm -hmm. right? I guess it depends on the situation he's in though, right? Because the last time we saw him, he was taking out Thrawn, but we know a, a Thrawn must be back because mm -hmm. Ahsoka mentions him. So, so who the hell knows what direction they're taking that story? As long as he doesn't have like crazy time dilation powers now, because he's been through these portals and stuff, I, you know, I'm good. He was getting pretty powerful, <laughs> though, at the end of that uh, series, so I wouldn't be surprised. But that does it for everything Star Wars and D23. So let's move on to Marvel, where we got our first trailer for Secret Invasion. This is just the beginning. This is my war alone. And I'm the last person standing between them and what they really want. I love the overall tone of this trailer. It just feels like a mystery spy thriller. Um, just a much more serious tone than our latest Marvel offerings. 
Because if you go back to like what we saw in Captain Marvel and you know what we've seen of the scrolls so far, I never would have assumed it would get to be like this serious of a show. I definitely thought there was going to be a comedic edge to this before they started giving us details on what this was really going to be. Yes, this is much more in line with their comic book counterparts. But I guess really, if you think about it, we only like met a small group of like scroll refugees uh, in Captain Marvel. So who's to say that there isn't this more warlike uh, group out there, you know, looking to take over planets? But who knows? I mean, that that movie took place in the 90s. So maybe over time, you know, the scrolls have learned to hate humans and Earth. And I can't blame them. All right, to start things off, we've got uh, some tension between Maria Hill and Nick Fury, uh, who are meeting at a bar. Apparently, uh, for the last couple of years, Maria's been trying to reach out to no avail to Fury. Uh, we do know the last time we saw Fury, which I believe was uh, Spider-Man uh, Far From Home, uh, he was in space. Uh, why? Maybe we'll find out here. I also was under the impression that Maria Hill was going to be in space of some sort, especially since we saw that one of the scrolls was pretending to be her as well in that film in Spider-Man. Which kind of raises the question, like, where was Maria during that uh -huh. time? The one thing that this scene does establish is that Fury knows that something's about to go down and he's trying to get to the root of it. Also, right before this, we see a ship land on Earth with Fury emerging. Uh, he's rocking a new look. He's got a long beard. He looks like a fisherman. Uh, at the end of the trailer, they kind of bookend this scene with a very similar shot, but we'll talk about that when we get to it. Also, he doesn't have his eye patch on. Does it look like his eye is healed in this trailer? It might be glassy. But okay. I wouldn't be surprised if they gave him like an alien eye or some like tech, you know? Yeah, I mean, that makes <laughs> sense. But yeah, uh -huh. I wasn't sure. I couldn't really tell by the trailer. So in the next scene, we see Fury meeting with uh, Rhodes. Uh, it seems like he doesn't trust his security. Uh, Fury's trying to clue him into what's going on. But I don't know about you, Christian, but I could totally see Rhodes being a scroll here. I mean, this is going to be one of those series where we're going to be questioning like every episode, like who's a scroll, I feel, you know, that's the fun of it, though, right? <laughs> exactly. But anyway, after this, we see Martin Freeman, who we know uh, played an agent in Black Panther. Uh, we also see Olivia Coleman, who's playing an agent also. She might be related, actually, to uh, the character Union Jack, who we saw out of costume, part of the Howling Commandos in uh, Captain America First Avenger. Uh, but anyway, she's in a lab surrounded by, you know, glowing bodies underneath some weird cloth. Uh, I'm not sure what the hell's going on there. They might be scrolls, they might not be. I mean, is that gonna be some way that they try to like indicate who's a scroll and who's not after they're dead? Christian, your guess is as good as mine. I have no clue. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's anything from the comic books though. Uh -huh. So, I mean, take that with a grain of salt. But regardless, whatever's going on, uh, she's definitely in the know because she's trying to warn Fury later on in the trailer. After this, we meet up with uh, Nick Fury's scroll buddy, uh, Talos, who's confronting another scroll at a restaurant when he realizes he's greatly outnumbered. Uh, pretty cool scene. Yeah, I'm hoping for a lot of this. You know, just random moments where they don't understand how, like, outnumbered they are. Felt a little Matrix, right? Like Agent uh -huh. Smith. Then we get a moment with Damage Control, uh, who, if you think about it, is kind of the new shield. So it would be kind of cool if, 
you know, they're actually, like, if they've actually been infiltrated. I mean, maybe that's why they're so shitty at their job. Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. It probably wasn't too hard for them to infiltrate. They probably could have just came as themselves. Really, they didn't have to change. <laughs> as far as we've seen so far. But, I mean, maybe that's why they're just letting supervillains walk out of their prison. Uh-huh. Right? Without stopping them. <laughs> and they're just randomly sending drones at people. I mean, if you think about it, that one agent who kind of goes rogue... Maybe she was a scroll the entire time. Maybe everyone's a scroll. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe you're a fucking scroll. Oh, no. But it would explain some of her behavior if they're here to just kind of disrupt society and, like, throw things into chaos. I mean, later on during this trailer, too, we see a motorcade uh, get missiles, like, fired upon it. Uh, so, I mean, so who knows what the scroll's motives really are? But, I mean, if the scrolls have had, like, Tony Stark tech this entire time, that's an easy tie-in for, like, if that's what they wanted to move forward into Armor Wars and stuff like that, <laughs> then that'd be great. And speaking of which, we found out that the series coming directly after this is Armor Wars. So to go back to my gut feeling that Rhodes is actually a scroll, what if Armor Wars is about Rhodey having to kind of pick up the pieces of his life being kind of left in disarray after being replaced by a scroll. Definitely feel like I'd give up in this society if I just came back, you know, if I if I dealt with like losing everyone in the snap and then also dealing with the fact that half the world is, you know, scrolls. You know, I, I, I don't know if I could handle living. Well, we did say half the world scrolls. <laughs> I'm just saying. We- I mean, they only really need a few, like, key individuals, and Uh that would cause enough chaos. (laughs) But anyway, moving on, next we see Amelia Clark's character looking like a badass, rocking a gun. Looks like she's investigating something. Uh, We still have no clue who she's playing. A lot of people are assuming she's playing the Scroll Queen, who played, obviously, a big role in the comic book series. But I'm not totally convinced of that. So I guess only time will tell. I know it's not the case, but it'd be pretty funny if she'd like replaced uh, Chloe Bennett as Quake in this, or at least this was the MCU's version. I think a lot of people would be pissed off. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, Chloe Bennett has a lot of fans out there and they're pretty rabid. Uh-huh. So that would be a bad idea by the MCU. I mean, Amelia but- Clark, don't get me wrong. She's a fantastic actress and I would, I would get it in the long run, but... I don't know, man. There's a lot of fans who wouldn't. But anyway, lastly, we get to the end of the trailer. This is the bookend scene that I was talking about. We see Fury emerging from a ship again. Uh, He's rocking his classic look, though. You know, the Avengers Initiative look when he's trying to, like, recruit Tony Stark. Day one, uh, you know, MCU. But yeah, he's got the bulb head, the eye patch. This is classic Fury. Uh, my guess was this was obviously done to kind of signal maybe we shouldn't trust Fury. Maybe he's involved. Uh, maybe he's the one behind all of this. Exactly. Like, is there going to be a scroll Fury running around? You know, it's it's terrifying <laughs> how much they can do. It is a scary thought, right? Especially with mm-hmm. the amount of information that Fury has in his head. Because one thing that uh, is established in Secret Invasion, they have some kind of like new technology where not only do they replace, you know, the human physically, but they can now, like, absorb, like, some of their memories and personality traits. Mm -hmm. I may be remembering stuff wrong, but isn't there, like, some characters that, like, get lost in their, like, roles? Like, they forget that they're scrolls? Yes, I think uh, uh, Captain Marvel, the original Captain Mm. Marvel, um, who in the Marvel comics at the time had been dead for years, 
but he returns and he truly believes that he's the real Captain Marvel. So there is that kind of like almost like sleeper cell like aspect to everything if they go that route in the show. But like I said, I thought this looked fantastic. It's a much more grounded approach to what we got in the comic book series, but I'm fine with that and it totally fits perfectly within, you know, what the MCU is doing right now and the direction they're headed in. Uh, but with that being said, and they totally didn't tease this, but I still have to wonder whether or not we get some big surprise or twist and find out like one of our favorite characters or heroes even has been a scroll this entire time. And that's what's fun about the series is the possibilities are really endless. Unfortunately, I feel like they'll keep it simple. And like if we if they are doing it, it might be Rhodey or something like that. Mm. I feel like a lot of characters will, you know, have like scroll moments. They'll have a bunch of teams. Yeah, they'll be like red herrings. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Um, if you think about it, though, Rhodes would be a big deal, especially depending on like how long ago he was actually replaced. Because it could lead to moments where we find out like, there was a scroll version of Rhodes operating this entire time during events like, you know, Civil War or Age of Ultron, where, mm -hmm. you know, Rhodes was kind of like throwing a monkey wrench into things like, you know, during missions and stuff uh, to, you know, fuck over the Avengers. Definitely would explain his bad jokes. <laughs> what explains yours, though? Oh, well, I've been a scroll all this time. Dude. You know this. <laughs> This has all been part of the plan. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited for this one as well. I'm hopeful for like an earlier release than later, but they did say it's coming out sometime in 2023, which should be a huge year. Yes, but usually when it's sometime, that means it's going to be like a later release. Yeah. But anyway, up next, we also got a Werewolf by Night trailer. This Halloween, you can't escape the shock, the terror of Werewolf by Night. Tonight, it is every hunter for themselves. Good luck. I'll be rotting for you. So holy crap, did I love this trailer. <laughs> um, I felt like this was actually made for me. <laughs> uh, the entire trailer feels like a classic, campy, black and white horror film. I'm sure this was done just for the trailer, but I would be mad if the entire special was like this. So, but I, I doubt that. Really, you don't think the actual special is going to be like how the trailer is? No, unfortunately, I don't think they'll go black and white like this. I mean, maybe I'm wrong and I'll, I'll be happy to be wrong here. Uh, but I feel like this was just more in the spirit of the season. I mean, I'd be game. I think it was a really well done trailer. I mean, we'll talk more about it as we go through it, but this was shattered my expectations for what this was going to be. Also, I can't believe this is only a month away. I mean, we just did a story last week about them casting a new character. I mean, I'm happy to be wrong. As soon as I heard, you know, casting this character, it's like, oh, okay, we got another year, year and a half, maybe, you know, before that we get anything more from this. Yeah, like, are they literally still shooting this thing? I, I can't imagine. I feel like that was just a delayed story or they've just been so good at keeping it, you know, from everyone. And there's also the fact that we don't know exactly how long this special is. So it could just be like a half hour special. So maybe there's not much to like the shooting schedule. So the teaser starts off with the group of rich monster hunters gathering, accepting some sort of challenge. Uh, we find out there's a mystery though involved where one of the hunters is actually the monster they're hunting. 
Next, we see the werewolf by night, uh, caged and then seemingly on the loose, causing havoc. Uh, there's some armed guards trying to keep him under control and just failing miserably. And it's surprisingly brutal, <laughs> like how much they're getting torn apart. So, I mean, maybe it is black and white, right? I mean, that's a great way to work around blood, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like with the amount of blood that they're showing, that would get them an R if it was in color. Like, especially for Disney. Stop it, Christian. You're getting me excited. <laughs> After this, we get a bunch of flashes of different characters under distress. Uh, this also includes Elsa Bloodstone, who at first I thought was Jessica Jones. Uh, but yeah, and then we get a blink and you miss it moment with the man thing, which is absolutely crazy. So uh, the teaser ends with Elsa Bloodstone looking absolutely horrified and possibly caged with the werewolf by night. Uh, short and sweet and to the point, but I thought it was absolutely perfect. Also, I'm not going to lie, I secretly hope they sneak in a small cameo for like Blade or maybe Moon Knight, especially knowing that Moon Knight has such strong like ties to the Jack Russell character, you know, seeing that, you know, his first appearance was actually in Werewolf by Night. Or who knows, maybe Jack ends up appearing in a potential second season of Moon Knight. They definitely wouldn't do this, but I would I would die if Blade showed up and just finished the job. And then and that's how it ended. And kills the werewolf by night. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> um That'd be hilarious, but a total waste of a damn good character. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> But I, I could see, like, a little stinger with Blade at the end, especially since these are, like, fellow monster hunters. I guess I was late to the party or something like uh, that. right. <laughs> it's an absolutely well-cut trailer. Like, I was, seriously, I was expecting something, like, CW level uh, for Werewolf by Night. I was not expecting, like, an actual horror-looking film here. Yeah, and this also gets me excited for the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy uh, Christmas special. Ah, yes. Because we do know that was being shot at the same time as uh, Guardians 3, so I'm sure it's going to, you know, have a high, like, cinematic quality to and it. And you let James Gunn have free reign with a Christmas special. It's, it's going to be wild and oh, fun. Oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was quoted as saying, like, this was his favorite thing he's done for Marvel so far. I might be paraphrasing. <laughs> I might be wrong, but... <laughs> That might be just Guardians 3 in general, but I'm pretty sure it was about uh, the, the Christmas special. Like, he's really high on it. But speaking of the Christmas special, I was kind of surprised that we didn't get any, like, news tidbits about it, um, you know, during D23. Well, clearly they can wait until the last possible second to release a trailer, so. Yes, less than a month out. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you have Disney money. Yes. <laughs> this shit sells itself at this point. But yeah, like we just said, October 7th is the official release for Werewolf by Night. Well, speaking of a project that's right around the corner, we did get an update on Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Ant-Man and the MCU has never been a bigger deal than now, as D23 gave way to news on the next film, Quantumania, tying directly into Avengers 5, The Kang Dynasty. Kevin Feige talked about the film having a direct line to the events of the next Avengers team-up, which makes sense due to, you know, Kang's involvement in Quantumania, and the reports of him being one of the 
the you know, major villains of that show, along with Modok, who we may have actually gotten a glimpse of thanks to some leaked merch. On top of that, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania writer Jeff Loveness has reportedly been put on to write the Kang Dynasty, as we learned from Collider this week. And if that wasn't big enough Ant-Man news for you, the man, the myth, the magical legend, Agent Randall Park, as played by Jimmy Woo, is also part of the next Ant-Man film after we last saw him in WandaVision. Quantumania is set for February 17th, 2023, with Avengers The Kang Dynasty also coming out 2025. Yes, and they did show some footage, but once again, we're not going to cover it because we didn't see it. Do you think Agent Randall Park was a uh, Donnie Blaze fan? I could totally see him having like a Donnie Blaze poster in his office or uh -huh. something, right? <laughs> or like a Donnie Blaze like Book of Magic. You know, yes. something ridiculous like that. That's a good call. All right. Well, up next, we also got some Loki season two news. The scene stealer from Everything Everywhere All at Once, Ki Hu Kwan, who's also known for his role in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, will be joining the MCU in Loki Season 2. And he looks to be joining as a TVA agent in what already seems like a much larger and wilder Season 2, with our first look showing Loki being pulled through time and having to team back up with jet ski fan Mobius to stop the universe from facing utter destruction. It'll be curious to see if we meet up with another version of Kang also in this series, especially knowing what Sylvie unleashed in the finale. And it also makes you wonder if Loki will make an appearance in the uh, Avengers Kang Dynasty film and kind of like inform the Avengers exactly what the hell's going on. Because really, like him and Sylvie are the only ones who truly know at this point. I do hope whatever version of Kang we do see, though, is like completely different from the one that we visit in um, Ant-Man. Like, I hope we just keep getting different ones in all these different series. I'm hoping that we eventually get Iron Lad. It won't happen in the Loki series, but maybe in Quantumania or, the, you know, the Kang Dynasty film. Because without going into the full history of Iron Lad, uh, we do know that he has a very close relationship with KC in the comics. And maybe just like in the comics, Iron Lad ends up being the catalyst to put together the Young Avengers team that definitely feels like is slowly forming in the MCU right now. By the way, before we move on, uh, Marvel did do a brief presentation for Echo where they revealed some footage, but we're not going to break that down. Uh, the only thing I will say it does officially confirm that Kingpin is part of the series. They also did a little presentation for uh, Daredevil Born Again. Evan Faki brought Vincent D'Onofrio and uh, Charlie Cox on stage, and they talked a little about the series and how much it means to be returning to, you know, these roles. Um, later on in an interview, which I don't think took place at D23, Charlie Cox kind of confirmed that Daredevil, uh, Daredevil Born Again is not like season four of the Netflix series, that it's its own thing. It's season one of this Daredevil. So it sounds like it's going to be a straight up reboot. I still I'm still saying it's a soft reboot. Well, you can stick all you want, Christian. I mean, the, the reboot's still in the name regardless. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always right with these things. All right. Oh, that's right. I, I totally forgot Scoopmaster C, just like your big Fantastic Four story. <laughs> That they were going to reveal the cast at D23, which you somehow thought you were the only person speculating, you know, what's going to happen. <laughs> and then what happened, Christian? Well, to be honest, who's, I think I'm going to have to. Who's playing Mr. Fantastic, Christian? <laughs> the information the got delayed, torch, all right? Who's playing the Human Torch? 
it's all coming out during the investors call that's my next call uh, oh, all right okay. <laughs> yes we only got confirmation that max shapeman is indeed helming the project but that's it <laughs> but i mean it makes sense like i was kind of saying before since he's taking the project over you know mid pre-production foggy probably wants his input on you know casting but back to daredevil i i definitely agree though it's probably going to be more of a soft reboot where they just don't talk about his origin story uh-huh. and they might allude to things but i wouldn't be surprised if they don't recast like electra and bullseye and do their own thing with those characters. It's kind of like having your cake and eating it too, because I don't want them to retell the origin story completely. You know, we've already saw it just a couple years back, but at the Mm. same time, even though they're different versions of the characters, it's nice having the continuity of, you know, these talented actors playing those roles. But even though, to Christian's dismay, we didn't get the reveal of the Fantastic Forecast, we did get a reveal for another upcoming team. The new team of the Thunderbolts will comprise of Yelena, as played by Florence Pugh, the Winter Soldier by Sebastian Stan, Red Guardian being played by David Harbour, US Agent played by Wyatt Russell, Ghost as played by Hannah John Kamen, and Taskmaster as played by Olga Kirilenko. And of course, the team will be supervised by Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, as played by Julia Lewis Dreyfus. As we know, the film is being directed by Jake Schreier and set for July 26th, 2024. So while these were all characters we were kind of speculating could be possibly on the team, I thought overall this announcement was a little underwhelming. And maybe part of that is because I was hoping that they would use this team to introduce some new characters into the fold. Um, and they still might possibly do that because i believe in some interview and i might be misremembering i thought kevin foggy said that we would be seeing all new characters for the first time but who knows i mean that might have just been some like half-baked rumor too so <laughs> it's always possible um have you seen the stuff about the web ur- url for zemo yes that marvel already leaked that zemo is going to be part of the team and i uh-huh. i think that's pretty obvious though right <laughs> Uh Either they're hunting down Zemo and then he ends up joining the team or, you know, he's part of the team up front and they're trying to keep that as a surprise. But it only makes sense. And in the comics, he's actually the person, Zemo's actually the person who puts together the Thunderbolts. I mean, I wouldn't put it past them to have uh, Zemo like influencing uh, Fontaine on her choices, like she consulted him or something. Absolutely. I mean, like Hannibal Lecter style. Exactly. And also, I I talked about this before, but knowing Zemo's stance on superheroes, I could see him joining the team all in the name of smearing uh, the public's perception of superheroes. But with that being said, I mean, this isn't a bad team roster. And every character here in the comics do have ties to the Thunderbolts at some point. I just wouldn't be surprised if there's more characters to be introduced later on in the future. But moving on to someone who might have something to say about this Thunderbolts team, we did get an update on Captain America for New World Order. Tim Blake Nelson is set for his MCU return as the leader, as announcements were made for the cast of Captain America New World Order. Director Julius Ona came out in interviews claiming the film will be full of paranoia and thrills as the leader is the type of adversary that's, you know, always four moves ahead of you. We also got word that Sabra will be getting a reimagined take as well in this film um, and will be played by Shira Haas from the 2020 film Unorthodox that's currently on Netflix. 
So I know we were just talking about the leader possibly being the one behind the Wrecking Crew trying to uh, obtain some of She-Hulk's blood. Uh, but this feels so out of left field. Like him being the big bad of the next Captain America film. I don't think I would have called this in a million years, honestly. I mean, it's a great way to get around the loophole of, you know, not being able to do these Hulk films by using his rogues gallery and other, you know, uh, hero stories uh, but I, i'm i'm right there with you i would expect you know like sam to go up against someone who might traditionally be a captain america villain and i'm sure captain america is thrown down against the leader in the past in the books but mm. yeah typically he's not a traditional like captain america villain with that being said do you think they end up like actually reintroducing him in she hulk briefly because i do feel like they need to kind of jog people's memories on exactly who the leader is since i mean really yeah. really only saw him becoming the leader at the end of that you know edward norton incredible hulk film i, mean, I could see a possible like end credit cameo mm -hmm. but you know she hulk is such a just co like comedic show i can't imagine him interfering at least in her affairs yeah i can't see him playing a big role right uh -huh. <laughs> do you think this means that the hulk will be in captain america 4 since we know that he has direct ties to the leader. I mean, there's a chance, but I just feel like he's going to be off planet to like an Avengers film at this point, you know, after he just left. When does Captain America 4 come out? Uh, May 3rd, 2024. Okay, so it's a while's away, right? Like, mm. They haven't started shooting yet. When's the next Avengers film? May 2nd, 2025. So the next year after that. Well, then I have no clue. I mean, in the comics, it's the Illuminati who sends the Hulk off planet. And then, mm -hmm. you know, of course, that causes the domino effect of, you know, Planet Hulk and World War Hulk. Um, but maybe in the MCU, it's the leader, you know, who sets all this up. And maybe this is just the leader's way of getting the Hulk out of his hair. It's not a bad plan. Yeah, but I mean, it's <laughs> definitely an interesting choice that I didn't see coming. I mean, with the subtitle New World Order, I was kind of expecting Cap to go up against Hydra again, like some new version of Hydra. Yeah, I just don't know if they're ready to come back to Hydra yet. You know, maybe they don't have any plans for Hydra going into like, you know, these new big events. So they're just going to wait till afterwards to like the world is back in order. All I know is New World Order totally sounds like uh, oh, a Hydra absolutely. special event book. Uh-huh. You never know. The leader could be working with Hydra now. Who knows? That could be a possibility, too. Also, it's only a matter of time before they bring back the Red Skull. Uh -huh. We also did find out that Carl Lumley would be reprising his role as Isaiah Bradley and that Danny Ramirez would actually be returning and picking up the mantle as the new Falcon. Well, like we talked about while we were breaking down the uh, Secret Invasion uh, trailer, uh, we did get an update on Armor Wars. Uh, that's going to be, you know, tying directly after uh, the events of Secret Invasion. Also during the presentation, we did get new footage for Ironheart, Black Panther, and Marvels, but they didn't release it to the public. So you know what that means. We're not covering it. But before we move on, and speaking of Black Panther, there was a rumor floating around that Ryan Coogler could possibly be in the running to direct the upcoming Secret Wars film. I mean, he's shown great work in Black Panther. I can only imagine what he would do with a full roster of superheroes in something like Secret Wars. So I'm excited for that news, yeah. if possible, if it's true. Yeah, if it's true, that'd be great. I mean, and you think about it, like he's dealing with such a large ensemble cast in Black Panther. Mm -hmm. It only feels like a natural transition for him to tackle 
an even bigger like event film like Secret Wars where we know he's going to be dealing with a lot of moving parts like he already has that experience so why not hand him the ball it's kind of similar to what happened with the Russo brothers they did Civil War and that kind of like got them ready to do Infinity mm-hmm. War but that really does it for you know all the D23 news uh, when it comes to Marvel and Star Wars, I mean, we definitely didn't get any like giant bombshells like we got at San Diego Comic-Con. But I mean, we still got some like juicy nuggets. They were hot and fresh, Damon. Hot and fresh. That's for sure. That's how I like them, Christian. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. Hey, you got Bush. Well, you definitely do. If you haven't tried the best products from our sponsor today, Manscaped. Taking control of your bush is important. These products are so good, you're going to be showing pride in your new bush-free yard. It's a fact that you'll have the best-kept nutsack on the cul-de-sac, so save big and be the most hygienic version of yourself by using our discount code 20NerdShow for 20% off plus free shipping at Manscaped.com. Listeners, you know I don't got bush because Manscaped helps keep my rocket raccoon high and tight. Whether you're looking to go bald like an eagle or just in need of a safe trim, Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game. Listeners, the grooming package I highly recommend is the Performance Package 4.0. That's because inside the package is the Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer is a bush's worst nightmare. This trimmer is designed to reduce grooming accidents and shave hair on loose skin thanks to its ceramic blades and advanced skin-safe technology. No need for night vision goggles, this trimmer has a LED light to allow you to mow the lawn in the dark. It's basic landscaping. When you trim the hedges, the tree stands taller. The second best tool in the performance package is the Weed Whacker. This fine-tuned nose and ear hair trimmer will make sure your nasty nose pubes are under control. Instantly add some pep to your step with the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Spray-On Testy Toner. With a performance package purchase, you get two free gifts, a shed travel bag and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped boxers. They have a bunch of other products on their website to help you maximize your confidence and grooming game. So listeners get 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. Kate Bush may be trending at the moment, but your bush needs some help. That's right, so make sure you're running up that hill and get 20% off and free shipping at Manscaped.com by using our code 20NerdShow. It's time to level up your grooming game with the ultimate bushwhacking tools from Manscaped. But before we move on, we did get some non-D23 news uh, in the form of an update for the Strangers trilogy. The Strangers remake trilogy has begun production as Bloody Disgusting reports in. Lionsgate also announced that you know Madeline Pest will star alongside um, Froy Gutierrez, which I hope that's how you say that, from Teen Wolf and Cruel Summer as a couple you know driving across the country to begin a new life in the Pacific Northwest. When their car breaks down in Venus, Oregon, they're you know forced to spend the night in a secluded Airbnb where they are terrorized from dusk till dawn by three masked strangers. Madeline's character is said to be kind of the driving force over this entire trilogy as the filmmakers will attempt to expand on the story and go in unexpected ways, at least as bloody disgusting as reporting in. Well, I'm glad that they confirmed that this is a reboot. I mean, it only makes sense, especially mm. after the events of the sequel. But with that being said, I'm a little wary of a strangers trilogy especially following like one sole survivor what i mean i'm guessing that's what's happening here 
because I don't know what made the stranger so scary was the fact that they just like randomly selected their victims. And while from the sounds of it, that seems to be what's going to happen in at least the first film. Um, how do you maintain that over the course of two more movies? It just feels like they're limiting themselves and, you know, ha having only one victim remain for three films. Yeah, I'd much rather see them move on to, you know, the neighbors, if you will. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> you know, or just a different scenario. Like, I, I don't know. But I mean, who knows? Maybe they've got a good story in store for us. I guess I'll have to take a wait and see attitude. Um, but also with it being a reboot, I'm kind of scared that they're going to try to like change the look of the strangers. And I feel like those masks now are so iconic, like you shouldn't fuck with them. So hopefully that's not the case. While editing the show, there were a couple extra stories that popped up outside of Disney. One being the delay of the Spider-Man spinoff films, Craven the Hunter and Madam Web. If you were excited to see the next you know, Sony spider flicks, you're going to probably have to wait an extra 10 months. It seems as Craven was pushed from its January release to October 6th, 2023, replacing Madam Web, which will now be, you know, coming February 16th, 2024. These changes also include an unannounced Sony spider flick that was, you know, set for June 7th, 2024, which will now be coming an extra month later on July 12th. Also on the DC side of things, um, they were currently working on a project with you know JJ Abrams for Constantine along with a Madame Xanadu like TV series and you know both of those have been canceled however a sequel to Keanu Reeves Constantine back in 2005 is apparently now in the works according to Deadline the sequel will reportedly have director Francis Lawrence back on as well with Akiva Goldsman on to write definitely a little shocked to hear it's coming back I just hope it's something that they take seriously you know I I wasn't a big fan of like the last matrix film that just came out and that's all that this kind of story is making me think of but keanu reeves can still go as we've seen in john wick so here's to hoping that this is something you know worthwhile warning spoiler alert major spoilers for house of the dragon ahead you have been warned give a fuck what some lord thinks i have spent a lifetime defending you but your heart is even blacker than i thought i want rhaenyra you are already wed. That didn't stop Egg on the Conqueror. You are no Conqueror. This past week's episode brought what we all expected of a Targaryen-based show as Daemon made his way, you know, back to King's Landing. And Uncle and Niece almost went all the way this episode. While this all stepped away from the action from last week, this time around, Daemon really came to play, you know, the Game of Thrones, as they say, in the most devious of ways by going after his brother's own daughter. Rhaenyra, who, before this episode, had been out, you know, listening to her suitors, you know, plea for her hand in marriage, is desperate to get away from her royal responsibilities. And Damon picking up on that after, you know, reuniting with his brother Viserys, views the relationship the king has with his daughter as a weak point and shows Rhaenyra a way to sneak out of the castle. The two of them would embark in a night of debauchery when Damon would take her to a brothel. But when he went to make, you know, his move, even though Rhaenyra was into it, Damon couldn't go through with it, which again plays to the many layers of this character and also what i loved about the psychology of all of this scene was just how the actions of daemon seem to unlock another side of rhaenyra we hadn't seen just yet and shows maybe kind of the power dynamic they could have or 
or she will have in the future with other people. The second half of the episode, though, brought on Viserys' reaction to being told his brother slept with his daughter, as spies informed the Hand of the two of them, you know, being at his brothel. Patty Constantine, I'm, I'm gonna just say it, he deserves an Emmy in my eyes for this role. You know, Viserys getting this news really just seems to tear apart his entire world, and tears apart just about every relationship he has in this show, and you really feel it. I mean, he loses faith in his best friend, and father-in-law now who's been on his side and you know taught him how to be king but with Viserys now being married to Hightower's daughter it really feels like you know Hightower is trying to get you know his grandson to be the next king in line so Viserys you know has to just kind of disown and actually takes the title back from him Viserys also feels like he can't trust his own daughter as she now has possibly been ruined in the eyes of the realm and after bringing his brother back into the fold, he is once again slighted by Damon's actions, which you know actually led to a powerful scene. Getting to see you know Viserys finally show his claws a little bit here uh, when he kicks Damon out. Of when he kicks Damon out of King's Landing after deciding not to kill him. Damon, while he didn't sleep with Rhaenyra, plays into the rumor and is trying to defile her name at this point, which will change people's opinions of her claim to the throne. And Rhaenyra is left begging for those to, to believe that she did not have sex with Damon, even though in the moment she probably would have, and after being denied, she took things into her own hands and actually took the virginity of Sir Criston, who had pledged a vow of purity. But with only one more episode with Millie Alcock and Emily Carey, I hope the switch to the future versions of them goes well, as both these actors did a fantastic job with the series so far. You know, I've seen a lot of sentiments similar to my own in saying, you know, how invested we've all become in their performances. Millie Alcock is a star and definitely should be getting, you know, phone calls after this season. Emma Darcy is really going to have some big shoes to fill when she becomes Rhaenyra. But of course, we will talk more about that next week on the show. For now, all I can say is that I really did enjoy this episode, and I'm glad that kid at the beginning of the episode killed that guy for questioning his manliness. I mean, that was fucking awesome. <laughs> Make sure to join us next week as we talk more Game of Thrones. This week's episode is also sponsored by Athletic Greens. Our next partner has a product I use literally every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I realized gamer foods like energy drinks and chips weren't all that nutritional. I hated taking vitamins as well and wanted a supplement that actually tastes great. And luckily with AG1, I've found a tropical flavored blend that I drink every single morning. Well, Christian, that's because with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics and adaptogens to help you start your day off right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery focus, and aging. You know, all of the things. I even have my family hooked on it, Christian, and they love it. We're even making sure to take it with us on vacation this summer. Your subscription comes with a year supply of vitamin D, which is important for a recluse streamer like me that admittedly doesn't get enough sunlight. And let me tell you, I've never slept better, and that's because AG1 supports better sleep quality along with mental clarity and alertness. And you also have to love the price. It costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health, and that's cheaper than buying all the supplements yourself. And we're not alone in loving athletic 
Greens because currently they have over 7,000 five-star reviews. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every single day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com emerging. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, it's that time again. Let's go ahead and break down episode five of She-Hulk. Warning, spoiler alert. Major spoilers for She-Hulk ahead. You have been warned. The public has unanimously identified her with the name She-Hulk. In fact, the name She-Hulk had not even been recorded in public discourse until that debut. We have a number of news items and broadcast quotes I'd like to enter into record. Simply put, the defendant is exploiting goodwill towards my client and her better-known cousin in order to sell her non-FDA-approved sham products. Starting off this week's episode of She-Hulk, it seems Titania has, you know, started her very own beauty line with her new trademark on the She-Hulk name. And, you know, the advertisements are absolutely haunting Jen. And it's, you know, very clear that the public might be a little confused by this as well, as we even get a moment with her cousin showing up, looking for her to sign some merchandise of Titania's and resell it as limited edition items. You know what I was confused by, Christian? Why weren't any of these products green? Like you would think that she would try to like tie it in uh -huh. more with the real She-Hulk, right? Exactly. Like even some green accents. It didn't make sense to just, just bad marketing. Uh-huh. Jen then attempts to confront Titania at a special event she's holding to meet, you know, some fans and sell her questionable beauty products. But Titania doesn't seem to care as she walks all over Jen in this scene, even getting Jen to take a photo of her and a fan. I love that Jen's so passive that she actually does agree to take the photo. Uh-huh. But says just one. <laughs> While Jen quietly obsesses over Titania stealing her name, um, we get introduced to, you know, the subplot of this week's episode as Pug trades a favor for favor deal with, you know, Nikki after he discloses, you know, knowing a guy who can, you know, get you apparel no one else can. Nikki in this week's episode makes it her mission to find a new outfit for Jen and has Pug take her to where, you know, they might be able to find a guy who designs clothing for heroes. After being swindled into buying some knockoff Avengers merch, the two eventually get led to a designer who agrees to meet with Jen after Nikki lies about Jen being an Avenger. I'm not gonna lie, I totally want an Avengers shirt. <laughs> they're they're gonna sell all this at some point, oh, right? I'm sure. Like I'm sure. The Iron Man 3s, the Avengers, yeah. it's, it's gotta be. <laughs> it kind of remind me of like those bootleg superhero action figures you'll see at like, you know, a flea market or a Dollar Tree where, you know, it'll say the Avengers on the package, but it'll be like a miscolored Superman figure. Mm -hmm. Back in the main storyline, Holloway sets up Jen with Mallory Books to clean up, you know, this whole Titania lawsuit mess, since it's actually making the firm look bad. Mallory and Titania's legal representatives, you know, go back and forth in court over if Jen identified as She-Hulk, both showing clips from times where, you know, Jen either denied the name or embraced it in public forums. And with Mallory countersuiting, the judge does decide to see this trial through and have Mallory and Jen come up with more examples 
rules of Jen identifying as She-Hulk. I, don't know, I think she should have taken the opportunity to change the name, right? <laughs> it just rebranded. That was her chance, yeah. right? <laughs> She-Hulk <laughs> is kind of a shitty name, so... But whatever. Between the trials, Jen meets Luke Jacobson, the superhero tailor who is less than thrilled to be meeting with Jen, the lawyer. But after, you know, some sweet talking from Nikki and a brief example of the size difference between Jen and She-Hulk, Luke eventually caves to the idea of helping, you know, the next big hero with some suits for the courtroom. In this scene, though, Frogman can actually be spotted leaving as Jen enters with a new suit of his own that we will see later on in the show, um, as we've seen in the trailer. Yeah, we we only know that because we know who's actually playing Frogman. He ap yes. he appears out of costume. But before we move on, I hate to mention this. This was another moment where the CGI was just completely off kilter. Like the blending was weird. It didn't look like she was even in the room with them. Um, I don't know. It, it kind of took me out of the moment. I'm not going to lie. I, I felt that way about the entire episode, to be honest. Like, when she was at her desk obsessing over Titania, and it was like a distant shot, I was like, that doesn't look right at all. <laughs> yeah, well, in this scene, like, you could almost see, like, the outline around her. Uh -huh. Like, the blending was just off. I don't know what was going on. I mean, I thought last week's episode was pretty rough, but this episode felt even more, like, half-baked. When going to meet up with Mallory, Jen finds her talking with another client and one who claims to be the biggest there at GLK and H, which is Todd, who was one of the strangest of She-Hulk's dates in last week's episode. Now, last week, we were pretty suspicious of Todd, just, you know, his line of questioning everything on their date. It just felt like he could be possibly working for whoever's trying to, like, you know, obtain a sample of She-Hulk's blood. But now the fact that he reappears in this episode and he seems to have strong ties to uh, Jen's firm. I don't know about you, but it just makes me even more suspicious of him. No, it definitely comes off a little sus here um, that <laughs> that he's there. I wonder who he's you know tied to if it's not like someone like the leader at this point. I mean, who knows? We didn't get any hints or clues during this episode. Once again, you know, that storyline no. didn't get progressed at all, uh, which was kind of disappointing. Uh, I've heard people speculating anyone from once again the leader to Thunderbolt Ross to even the Kingpin but without them even like scratching the surface you know with any hints over the last two episodes I mean it could be anyone at this point. I mean, it, it doesn't even feel like we're telling that story anymore. This encounter, while giving Jen the chills, gives her an idea on how she can win her countersuit against Titania, as the next day in court, she has each man that she dated that weekend testify to her using the She-Hulk moniker. The judge then takes Jen's embarrassing love life as enough proof that, you know, she has the rightful ownership of the She-Hulk name and ends Titania's trademark. Titania um, vows this isn't the end, but for now it is, as Mallory, who hasn't shown any interest in Jen as a person, finally talks with her as they leave the courtroom, telling Jen, you know, the treatment of her dates, especially the doctor, is below her and that Jen deserves better, which, you know, leads the two of them to go get drinks as friends. Before our episode closes, Jen visits 
visits Luke to try on the suits he's designed, and he gives her, you know, something more than she expected, but we see none of the outfits as the camera pans to a box Luke was carrying that holds Daredevil's new yellow helmet with a tag that says ready for pickup. So my guess is the special something that he made her is the very comic book accurate classic uniform that we saw in the first trailer. I wasn't necessarily surprised by seeing the Daredevil helmet because unfortunately I was kind of spoiled by a rumor that we covered uh, like four or five months ago. <laughs> so I don't know if you remember that, Christian. Not really, but... Uh... Okay, well, I'm not going to say anything else. <laughs> but it's just surprising to me like how many of these rumors, once mm-hmm. again, are coming true. Hopefully, beat for beat, it's not completely true. Uh, so there's a little sense of surprise for, you know, me and people who listen to that episode and remember it. <laughs> but, I mean, once again, it just adds credence to us putting that spoiler warning at oh, the yeah. beginning of news. <laughs> it's just so funny because Marvel ran such a tight ship just like three or four years ago. And now that's not the case. I mean, they've got tons of leaks like every month and more than half of them end up being true i mean it's just crazy i'm just wondering what changed i just hope it's not a case of like people are going to go to the theater and watch these shows either way so they're just being a little more loose about it you know i hope not because i'm starting to really miss that element of surprise when it comes to like when it comes to the marvel franchise one of the few times where my adhd brain rot you know really comes to help (laughs) <laughs> forgetting all this stuff <laughs> yeah because you have no clue what i'm talking nope, about huh? i don't remember it all <laughs> so anyway uh with the reveal of daredevil's helmet it, it seems pretty likely that he's going to appear next episode but speaking of rumors uh a rumor that's unfortunately not true uh we originally heard that daredevil would be actually appearing in three episodes this season but now it sounds like it's only one. So, I mean, that's pretty disappointing if you ask me. <laughs> uh, but it is what it is. We're going to get plenty of them in every other show and his own show for like hundreds of episodes. So that's that's true. Like, what was it? 18 <laughs> exactly. episodes? Um, yeah. And you don't want She-Hulk to get overshadowed uh-huh. by Daredevil, you know, in her own series. We don't so. want the Mando effect here. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We don't want her to get Boba Fatted. But anyway, back to this episode. Um, I thought this was entertaining enough, even though it was kind of like a standalone episode. And that's how last week's episode was also. I don't know. I I guess I'm just kind of missing that consistency storytelling wise when it comes to like the main storyline. Like they introduced something, you know, pretty big Mm. with, you know, a group like the Wrecking Crew trying to, you know, get Jen's blood. And then it's just not followed up on for you know two weeks now it would have been nice to have like at least like a subtle nod you know to that um you know either like you know a running subplot or a brief scene or moment it's kind of weird to introduce a plot point and then just kind of forget about it for two episodes yeah i mean at least last week for me i you know found the humor funny but this time i i don't know nothing landed with me so with no no continuity going on with the you know former storylines or anything like that and this just being a standalone just makes me like not interested in you know checking in each week now of course 
Daredevil is going to be in the next week's episode. So I'm, I'm, you know, wanting to watch it. But this one was just so like I, I found myself checking to see how much longer the episode was as I was watching it. No, I agree. I mean, without that, like through line storytelling wise, it doesn't make the show feel like can't miss watching. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because typically with these like Marvel and Star Wars shows, one o'clock Wednesday morning rolls around. And if I'm up, I'm watching the show. Part of that's because, you know, you can't wait to see what happens next. And part of that's because you're terrified of being spoiled by the Internet, you know, in the morning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Where if we weren't covering it every week, I could totally see myself like missing a couple weeks and just like binging the whole thing at the end. Exactly. Which brings me right back to my first episode. <laughs> Predictions <laughs> and thoughts. Yeah, but in the first episode for me, I mean, they introduced a lot of different aspects that I thought we were going to be playing with uh -huh. like, throughout the entire series. <laughs> but like some of those storylines just seem to be like dropped. I don't I don't get it. Because um, like I said, even it, it doesn't have to be the focal point of the entire episode. Mm. You know, that's what subplots are for. You know, it could just be a brief moment to keep you intrigued and hooked into, like, you know, the main storyline. Uh, but instead, like, the last two episodes just feel like, you know, glorified subplots. Like, there hasn't even been any follow-up with the Abomination now that he's out of prison. I mean, my idea of good episodic TV has cliffhangers that get you to come back for more and more. But the last two weeks, we haven't been getting those. I love Jen as a character, and I enjoyed the show overall. I do think it's entertaining, but right now I feel like I could totally miss a week and not miss any. I mean, hell, we didn't even get a uh, mid-credits scene this week. No, I totally expected it to be like the two uh, other lawyers like in line for the Iron Man 3s, because I mean, that's what they kind of set up earlier on. I don't know if you noticed this, but in the end credit artwork, uh, there was a scene with a uh, pug. I don't know if he's shopping for shoes or if this is his own personal shoe collection. But uh, they showed him surrounded by a bunch of different, like, superhero, you know, shoe brands, mm -hmm. if you will, uh, you know, akin to the Iron Man 3s. But uh, there are a lot of, like, heroes represented that haven't been introduced in the MCU yet proper, uh, like Deadpool or Wolverine and Cyclops, um, Scarlet Spider. So I'm sure it was just like a cute little Easter egg they decided to throw in there. Um, but I don't know. It was kind of cool regardless. But all right, make sure to join us next week for another episode of She-Hulk. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. Oh boy, was there a lot of games announcements this past week thanks to several events going on from D23 to Tokyo Game Show. We got plenty of new trailers, but to kind of hone it all in, I'm going to talk about the games that, you know, really caught my eye the most and that I have been, you know, following here on the show. For starters, at D23's game showcase, we got, you know, an announcement for a Captain America and Black Panther game that took me by surprise. And Disney didn't do much to really clear things up about this game either, though. There's very little details out there right now, not even an official title for the game, just the setting, which it will be Cap and Black Panther set, you know, during World War II. I would assume that this would, you know, have to be a relative of T'Challa unless they're telling a story in which T'Challa is somehow around during Cap's origin. I like the fact that Disney and Marvel are more invested in making games lately, but I won't be too excited until I see a game on the level of what Insomniac produced for, you know, Spider-Man. Like I've said on stream plenty of times, I'd pay 
pretty good money for a single-player Black Panther game like Marvel Spider-Man, but we will see what kind of title this will be. My bet right now, though, is it's going to be some type of turn-based game based in World War II. At Ubisoft Forward, Assassin's Creed made some large announcements about the future of the franchise with five, yes, five new projects on the way. Assassin's Creed Mirage is the next big installment to the franchise, with Ubisoft claiming it's a back-to-formula style of game for this series, picking up from Valhalla's side character Basim as he starts his journey as, you know, an assassin in 9th century Baghdad. Um, the game will be very reminiscent of the first Assassin's Creed, which was a game I really loved back in the day. So while I may have fallen off of the franchise some, these announcements have you know piqued my eye at least like one of the newer games that we'll be getting finally will be set in Japan um, and is also being called Codename Red so far which has been said to be set in the feudal era as we will play as a shinobi they also announced some other interesting titles like one that's more horror focused in Codename Hex that will be about you know ancient witch hunts during the medieval times and there was also Codename Jade which will feature a customized character on mobile game devs have touted that at Ubisoft they're at least looking to do more focused gameplay on all their titles rather than trying to make these massive open worlds where you can do literally everything which for me has gotten pretty stale as far as the Ubisoft experience has gone you know at this point I look at a Ubisoft game and I kind of have an idea of what it's going to play like and so I, I haven't been all that interested in it because all of them have just felt the same so with people over at Ubisoft making you know statements like we're going to be focusing on one mechanic or different mechanics to try and make a variation of games that makes me pretty happy to hear you know they really do need a change up for their formula over at Ubisoft I'm not too big into Nintendo games but I do respect you know Legends of Zelda and their next title Tears of the Kingdom which will be a sequel to Breath of the Wild is slated for May 12th 2023 as we found out at last week's Nintendo Direct but for me it was really Sony's 30 minute state of play that stole this week's announcements by giving us some pretty awesome trailers and announcements. Western Yakuza game fans will be delighted in the release of Like a Dragon finally coming to the States in this beautiful remake set to come February 2023. Plus they announced a Yakuza 8 which is now being called Like a Dragon 8 which will probably be confusing because there are so many games called Like a Dragon at this point. Plus they announced one more game called Like a Dragon um, Gaiden, the man who erased his name in silence, which will be a, you know, action adventure title rather than rather than an RPG game like most of the other ones. This one is set for a 2023 release. But uh, to speak more about eighth titles in a franchise, Tekken 8 showed off a beautiful trailer with Jin and Kazuya going toe to toe. Somehow again, they are outdoing themselves graphically. And honestly, it's been great to see both Street Fighter and Tekken's updates this past week. But I've always been more of a Tekken guy, so this really got me amped up. No official you know, release has been set just yet, but we will be keeping an eye on the future of Tekken. We also got a reveal from you know the Ninja Gaiden developers, Team Ninja's uh, next project in Rise of the Ronin, which is set in 1863 Japan and honestly looks like a more refined Assassin's Creed experience. The wingsuit really gave me that vibe. But Team Ninja is really known to put out a great action-adventure title, so this is definitely a win for Sony players as this is a console exclusive coming 2024. Along with that, we got an update for Project Eve, which will now be called Stellar Blade. They showed off, you know, another gorgeous trailer with, with what looks like, you know, incredibly fun gameplay. This is definitely one 
one on my anticipated games for next year. And you'll definitely catch it on stream on my channel. But before that, I'm definitely gonna be playing a game that's gonna be making me shed tons of manly tears in God of War Ragnarok which debuted an insane trailer during the state of play. We caught it live on stream when they dropped this video on Tuesday. And I was taken aback at everything they showed off. Going as far to give us an actual glimpse of the clash between Thor and Kratos and Kratos delivering the hardest line in gaming history to this point. Death can have me when it earns me. Oh, chef's kiss to all of it. This is definitely one of the few times where I think it's okay to get a little overhyped for a new tile because Santa Monica has definitely earned that kind of praise from its fans. They have absolutely been killing it on God of War, and I can't wait to play this November 9th live on Twitch. Make sure to be following us over there as I am likely going to be picking up as many of these titles as I can. So, you know, if you need a preview, The Amazing Nerd Show has got your back. Also, let us know what your favorite game was shown off this past week. You can find us at Amazing Nerd Show or at Amazing Nerd Live on Twitter, where we kind of focus more on the stream side of the show. This weekend, we are starting Metal Hellsinger on Xbox Game Pass, and currently plan to begin the darkness on Xbox 360, as well as trying to finish up Horizon Zero Dawn on the PS5 so we can move on to its sequel. But enough of all that, let's move on to wrestling. All right, Christian, so full disclosure, uh, this week we're kind of crunched for time. We usually break up our recording uh, between two days, uh, and we record Dynamite like right after Dynamite. Uh, but unfortunately, this week my computer was having issues, so that's that wasn't the case. Uh, so now it is almost 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Four o'clock Friday morning, and we still haven't talked wrestling. Uh, we were planning on previewing the card, but instead, I think we're just going to go ahead and give our predictions with maybe a little preview here and there. But with Grand Slam being right around the corner and it being such a major event for AEW, we did want to briefly at least talk about it. So with that being said, Christian, uh, what matches do we have so far announced for both nights of uh, Grand Slam? Because it is divided between uh, Dynamite and Rampage, correct? Yes. Um, on Dynamite, we have Pac versus Orange Cassidy for the All-Atlantic Championship. Uh, I'm going to say Orange Cassidy picks up the win here. The only reason I'm saying that is because I feel like Orange Cassidy is kind of due a big win. Uh, he's been kind of on a losing streak recently. Uh, we definitely saw a more edgier Orange Cassidy this week, uh, just randomly knocking out Pac in the back uh, and challenging him for his belt. And this would also be revenge for his loss, uh, you know, at his first uh, pay-per-view. I mean, while I think it is going to be Orange Cassidy, I think it just would suck for Pac and having to lose right after um, winning the tr uh, the trio's titles, especially with um, the Lucha Brothers just losing as well. You know, I, while it doesn't make him look weak, I just feel like, you know, it, it sucks that the new champions are immediately losing so much. No, I agree. And I was scratching my head about, you know, uh, Lucha Brothers even being put in that situation, mm -hmm. going up against Swerve to our glory this past week. Because um, there's like, what, like, you know, 10 other tag teams that Swerve to our glory could have gone up against. Exactly. And, you know, got the win over. Uh, so it was kind of weird to see your newly crowned champions, even though it was a trios match, uh, you know, lose right off the bat. 
Um, but that being said, I still feel like Orange Cassidy needs the win more. Um, and then we also have the Ethan Page factor where it seems like Ethan Page is on the war path for not only the all Atlantic, uh, championship, but also against all gimmick wrestlers. So what better wrestler to go up against for, you know, the all Atlantic title than Orange Cassidy? Yes. King of gimmicks. <laughs> yes, exactly. The ultimate gimmick. All right. Uh, we also have the Ring of Honor World Championship between Claudio and Chris Jericho. Yeah, this is kind of out of left field. Uh, Jericho mentioned the fact that he's never held the ROH title uh, while doing commentary for uh, Claudio's match against Dax. Okay. Uh, which was a fantastic uh-huh. match, and I highly recommend checking that out. It took place on Rampage last week. Uh, but yeah, I man, I this is another weird one where I don't know if I could call the winner. It just feels way too soon for Claudio to be dropping the title. Um, but if they're getting close to some kind of like TV deal or something, I could see Tony wanting Chris Jericho to wear that belt. Um, very similar to what he did, you know, to start AEW off. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if I see Jericho losing against Claudio, um, especially knowing that he just lost against Brian. Man, this is a tough one. I, I, fuck it. I'm going to go Claudio here. Oh, wow. I thought you were going to go Chris Jericho. Um, I'm, I was going to go with Claudio just because I, I agree. I don't feel like they should take the title off him just yet. And it would be a big spot for him to get over Jericho. Yeah. Also, we do know that Jericho was supposed to be on vacation right now. Oh, okay. So, right. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I could see him going on sabbatical for a couple weeks mm-hmm. after this. Uh, we have a fatal four way for the interim women's world championship between Tony Storm, Serena Deeb, Britt Baker, and uh, Athena, which I don't know why this is a triple threat. I mean, a, a fatal four way. I figured it would just be Deeb versus Tony since she got the pin this week. But I guess this is Tony's way of placating the women's division by just, you know, throwing together another uh, four way. I feel like at this point when he does shit like this, it's really transparent and kind of, you know, cheapens the division, honestly, because like what the hell did Athena do to earn this uh, title shot? Right. Be friends with the champion and you get a title (laughs) match. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to say Tony, you know, retains her belt here, you know, since she just won the fucking thing. Uh, And then hopefully she can move on to a program with Deeb. Uh, And then maybe, you know, Jamie Hayter gets involved and that furthers the Mm storyline with Britt. And then God knows what they're going to do with Athena next. Yeah, I'm assuming Tony Storm's going to retain as well. I'm wondering if uh, Deeb will just take the pin so that they can, you know, maybe build something further but i do agree this is all going towards jamie hater yeah I, i'm guessing that it won't be deep I, i'm wondering if deep will look like she's about to beat tony and then someone will break up the pin mm. uh and then you know tony pins maybe athena or someone else or maybe brit or maybe uh jamie hater comes out and causes brit to lose and she's the one who eats the pin I could see that. Like she pulls her off and it gives Tony like enough time to put on the storm zero. I totally see that. Yeah. And that and that starts the feud, the real feud between Britt and Hater. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the AEW World Tag Team Championship swerve in our glory going up against the acclaimed. The acclaimed. There's no way. <laughs> they were so I over. Mean, I feel like if they don't win, like in New York, especially their hometown, 
like people will fucking riot. You know, so great way to I'm get go- you know Keith Lee over as a heel. I don't, I, I don't think Keith Lee's going to be a heel man. All right, all right. It, I think it's just Swerve. Dude. Mm-hmm. I think Swerve is going to end up, you know, Swerve has been carrying the load for the group as the heel. Um, you know, he's the one who's coming out by himself, interrupting the claimed uh, when they're about to rap. Uh, it's not so much uh, Lee. So I feel like, you know, they'll drop the titles here and then they'll move into like a singles program against each other. Uh, with the claim maybe moving on and, you know, facing the ass boys again, especially since during uh, Stokely's introduction of the firm this week, uh, we heard their mission statement is to, you know, get those uh, world titles. Uh, and then we had the AEW World Championship with our two finalists, John Moxley and Brian Danielson, having a title opportunity here. So this is another one that's almost too close to call. You know, with the way that they've been setting things up between Moxley and MJF and knowing that MJF eventually is going to be getting a title shot, it really feels like Moxley's going to walk away, you know, from Grand Slam being, you know, the newly crowned world champion. But with that being said, I could totally see a scenario where, you know, Tony wants to freshen up, you know, the main event scene and put that title around Brian Danielson's waist. Um, you know, something different and new. And I mean, at this point, he's been with the company for a year, so I feel like he's kind of due. Mm-hmm. So while my brain is saying Brian, my heart's saying Mox. <laughs> so I'm going to go with my heart here and I'm going to say Moxley. I'm going to stick with Brian, but I I do see where it could be Mox, especially with how much they've been angling towards it on television. But it would be a great swerve at, to get uh, like Brian over here as champion. Yeah. And I mean, maybe MJF does something to cost Moxley the match. Yes. And then they end up in a program together, you know, without the title being at stake. Um, I could see that scenario. That that definitely works. And then that really, like, freshens up the world title scene with Brian capturing that belt for the first time. I mean, there's tons of matchups that we haven't seen yet. But exactly. for the record, I'm, I guess I'm still going with Moxley. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, did you see that uh, promo package they put together, you know, with his speech? Uh, last week no i didn't see the promo package i've just seen the promo yeah oh my god it's fantastic man it it's just so masterfully done like i i i've watched it a couple times at this point i get like (laughs) goosebumps every fucking time gets gets you up in the morning oh my god i'm ready to go man i'm gonna i'm gonna run through a brick wall from john moxley (laughs) like give me the ball box Uh, over on Rampage, it's expected to have Hook and Action Bronson going up against Matt Menard and Angelo Parker of JAS. Now, off mic, I asked you, Christian, like, I know Action Bronson is a rapper, but, like, does he have some kind of, like, wrestling background? I've never heard of him being a fighter or a wrestler in any regard, so this is all new to me. So I was like, is he like a mixed martial artist and I just don't know about him or something like that? Because this whole like trading montage <laughs> vignette they did um, during Dynamite was just fucking goofy. I don't know, man. <laughs> like, like I was like, are we supposed to be taking this seriously? I don't get it. Um, but uh, people seem to be into it. So whatever. I know he's super over as an artist uh, and 
2.0 could make anything gold, honestly. Uh-huh. I mean, they're hilarious together. Uh, but I'm just so done with celebrities wrestling, you know, especially after the last couple of years. Uh-huh. I'm just wondering, like, is this really doing Hook any favors? <sighs> Not really. Um, I'm assu- if if this is done right, you know, Action Bronson will be in the ring getting punished for most of the match, keeping and Hook, Hook out. Will make the save. Yeah, but he'll get the hot tag. I don't know. Uh, I don't know, man. Sure. Whatever. I mean, it's, he's from New York. It's a New York crowd. Mm. So he's going to get the big pop regardless. I'm sure he'll lead Hook out, you know, by rapping his theme song. So whatever. It's a moment, right? So the next Bad Bunny, all right? Right here oh, in AEW. Great. Uh, up next, we have Samoa Joe and Wardlow going up against Tony Nese and Joss Woods. So when they announced this team up on Rampage, the crowd started to chant Ward Joe. <laughs> My question to you, Christian, is how long is it before you have a Ward Joe shirt? <laughs> um, however long shipping takes after they release it, you know? <laughs> well, luckily, we live in Chicago. So, True. I mean, Pro Wrestling Tees is right down the block. <laughs> You can go make one myself, actually. <laughs> uh, I don't know. This is kind of a nothing happening match. Uh, just once again thrown together mm-hmm. for the sake of, you know, getting these guys on TV. Uh, they've just been squandering Wardlow. Um, like, he wasn't even on TV this past week, I don't think. So, I don't know. Like, it feels like if you really want him to regain his momentum, you need to be featuring every week. And they're just really like stop and start with him. I like, I would rather them turn Joe heel and have him go up against Wardlow. You know, that's a great story. Maybe that's in the cards here. Maybe after the match, Joe ends up choking out Wardlow and that sets up a big feud. Maybe you have Tony Nese and Josh Woods as his lackeys or something. I don't know. I don't think Joe needs any lackeys, honestly. (laughs) Fair enough. I I mean, I mean, the only danger I think you put yourself in by turning Joe is still more than half the crowd is going to want to cheer Joe. Uh-huh. So it might be like counterintuitive to like, you know, have Wardlow try to gain momentum against a really overheal Joe. But I'm assuming we both have uh, Ward Joe going over here. Oh, 100 uh, percent. We have a no DQ match after that with uh, Sting and Darby Allen going up against the remaining members of House of Black, Brody King and Buddy Matthews. Yeah, so I guess uh, they're going to stay together as a team. Uh, Malachi Black has left the company, even though that hasn't been completely confirmed by AEW at this point. Uh, like, I'm personally hoping that it's just a sabbatical, but that doesn't seem to be the case. But his release was highly conditioned, so I'm sure he has a big, like, no-compete clause when it comes to WWE. Because he was on, like, a five-year deal, mm-hmm. um, with, and he was only, like, one year into it. <laughs> so, man, I, I feel like this is probably a no-brainer, and that Sting and Darby are probably going to go over here. Um... But that just does no favors for the House of Black. Yeah. You know, I just, I don't know where they're headed as a unit at this point. Like, and we kind of talked about this last week. Do you add another member? Um, I just don't know. I, I don't know. I'm going to say Sting and Darby, which is unfortunate because I feel like the House of Black needs to get back on the map. 
you know, like with a big win. So, I mean, who knows? Maybe they swerve us. Um, I'm going to give it to House of Black just because I want them to win. I, I don't know <laughs> if they will, because I assume that's uh, once again. Now you're voting with your heart. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I, I'm totally with you, though. I, I, I kind of want them to win, but I don't know, man. It, it just doesn't feel like they're going to have Sting lose in front of that New York crowd. I get you, but I don't know. It's no do DQ. They, you know, do they see this as a chance to reestablish the House of Black and have them take out Sting and like, you know, now Darby's alone against these guys and having to like regroup? I mean, it would be a great like comeback I moment feel, for Sting I, at like full gear or something. I feel like we just had that though happen, right? Wasn't that just the storyline that played out? Was stinking the mist in the eyes, and then he was gone for a while, and then right? I guess. <laughs> I just don't even know why they booked this match. I mean, they could have Sting and Darby go up against any other tag team. Right? <laughs> and then you could have put like House of Black against any other tag team. I don't know. I, don't know. I want House I of Black to get some wins so that they can possibly go up for the title at some point, you know? No, I agree hundred percent. I I love Brody King. He's one of my favorite wrestlers right now, honestly. So I just don't know how long they can continue this storyline at this point. Uh, Last but not least, we have a no-brainer in Jade Cargill going up against Diamante for the AEW TBS Championship. I have a confession. I've actually been watching Dark lately, Christian. Oh, wow. Diamante's really, like, upped her game. Um, I'm not telling you that she's going to be Jade at all. But <laughs> I do feel like it is deserving that she is getting like a title shot here, even though I, I don't feel like the rankings obviously matter <laughs> in this case. Although I, I wouldn't be surprised if she isn't like 40 and two or something crazy, you know, since she's just racking up wins on dark because I had to laugh uh, while I was watching uh, Abaddon also had a match and her record was like 30 and three. <laughs> and she's not even like ranked in the top five. <laughs> So and when was the last time we saw her on TV? I, I was don't it last know. Halloween when she had that <laughs> like uh, she had like some kind of like death match with Brett. I think that was the last time we saw her. Huh. So, yeah, no. Um, but Diamante brought up the fact that she's going to have like a surprise in her corner. So I have no clue who that could possibly be. I mean, I hope they don't go the relationship angle because she's current. I think she's currently dating um, Kira Hogan. Oh, that would be interesting, especially, you know, since Kira's a baddie. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you know, she's still going to lose. So that would just feel kind of wasteful. Um, well, whoever it is, I mean, I think we both have Jade going over, right? Yes. Uh, she's She's got to at least hit 50 wins, right? Before they, they drop that title. I mean, the rate they're going, though, it's going to take a year to get there. <laughs> she needs to have more fucking matches. Because, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, like she started off wrestling every week and now it's like once a month. Um, yeah. So hopefully, you know, they up her ring time and, you know, we see her get there sooner than later. I mean, do you think maybe at 50 she challenges whoever has the world title, like have like a title versus title match? Um, Could we have Jade, like, unify the belts? First women's double champion? I could see them wanting to do that. Right? Because I don't see Jade dropping the belt to anyone at this point. Like, they haven't built any star up Mm. who feels at the same level as Jade. So, um, I don't know. I I could see her, like, you know, either dropping the title to go after the world title. Like, if, you know, for some reason Tony has some rule against that. Or just unifying the titles. I don't think they'll get rid of the belts, but um, 
Yeah. Ah, uh, she could be like Roman and just carry both of them around. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, that's going to have to be it for this week. Uh, like I said, it is 4.30 in the fucking morning. I'm tired. <laughs> I literally have to be up in two and a half hours. But hopefully next week we have a little more time and we can go more in depth when it comes to reviewing AEW's Grand Slam. Because it does look like a great card. Well, that does it for this week. That's right. And as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, all right, Damon, what are we talking about next week? Well, Christian, next week we'll be reviewing the first three episodes of the newest Star Wars series, Andor. And we'll also be breaking down episode six of She-Hulk. Plus, we got more Game of Thrones talk and hopefully we'll be giving a full review for AEW's Grand Slam. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Blade. Ready to die. I was born, ready, motherfucker.